everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Everything is Interesting, the science show that makes everything interesting. I'm Kira Kleenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. And joining us today is the one, the only, Kieran Bond. Hey, friends. Hey. Hey. Also with us are producers Amalia. Hey, Amalia. Hello. There you are. Lindsay. I thought you left us. Hey, guys. Hey. And Joey. Hello. Today we're talking about plants, but not just any plants. Plants that eat flesh. Tasty bug meat. That's right. We're talking the slippery pitcher plant and its deadly pools of liquid. The flypaper trap with its inescapable sticky leaves. And of course, those masters of spring-loaded action, the Venus flytraps. Yeah. And since it's been a little while since we played a game on the show, we're going to play our favorite quiz game, Science Fact or Science Fiction. Okay, before we start... I have a quiz question for you guys. Ooh. I saw a little shop of horrors, and it taught me that Venus flytraps were from outer space. Yeah. Is that science fact or science fiction? I want to know where these terrible flesh-eating plants come from. Oh, yeah. Outer space. Definitely. Yeah. Does really? anybody know that? Def- I mean, Little Shop of Horrors is actually a nature documentary about space plants yeah. narrated by Rick Moranis. Oh, my God. You didn't know yeah. this? He's like the new da- David, a- the old David Attenborough. Aren't you glad we're here to tell you that stuff? <laughs> yes. But, like, is there a new David Attenborough? Because I feel like David Attenborough no, you forever. Can't replace, no, you can't replace him. It's all Rick Moranis now. Okay, no, just kidding. Just kidding. It's fiction. It's a Hollywood movie, for goodness yeah, sakes. That's not real. But, uh, anyway... Earth's carnivorous plants are native to our own planet. And what's more, they began as regular old boring Earth plants. The kind that don't need anything other than water from the sky, nutrients from the soil, and light from the sun to make their own food. This is a great way to survive. It's incredibly efficient. But not all soil is rich in all nutrients. Nitrogen, for instance, which is key to a plant's survival, tends to be scarce in bogs, swamps, and other generally waterlogged areas because excess water in the soil washes these nutrients away. Huh. How do we keep these nutrients that get washed away? Well, you don't. But what you can do if the soil you're rooted in doesn't have the nutrients you need. Well, okay, if you're an alien like Audrey Two from Little Shop of Horrors, then you just beam down to Earth and find some poor dumb florist to feed you human blood. Oh, Audrey, too. We love you. Ne- oh. Next to uh, Planet Earth, that's my favorite documentary <laughs> ever. Um, <laughs> alas, though, nutrient-starved earthling plants are, one, very bad at singing. Yeah. Uh, but they, they also, to find their nutrients, they, they do do something really, really cool. They ended up developing a taste for the blood of nitrogen-rich insects. Okay, don't all living things contain a lot of nitrogen, like me, for example? Does that mean a Venus flytrap could eat me? Well, yeah. In fact, I think there are some carnivorous plants that would prefer to eat you. Mm, I'll take that as a compliment. Does it have to be human? Does it have to be mine? Yeah. Let's get started with our bloodthirsty, bug-eating plant quiz. We'll give you a fact and you tell us if it's science fact or science fiction. If you're right, you'll have satiated the carnivorous plant's hunger for knowledge, and you'll hear this. That's right, boy! You can do it! But if you're wrong, the plants will be angry and hungry, and then you'll be plant food, and you'll hear... Feed me, cowboy! Feed me now! I'm starving! So, ready to play? We can all play. All right. First question. Science fact or science fiction? Recent research has shown that carnivorous plants are even more talented than originally thought. 
Turns out they actively hunt for their prey. When they see an insect whiz by, they can decide whether or not to snap them out of the air or suck them into their stomach-like structures, based on how hungry they are at that moment. All right, Kieran, what do you think? Fact or fiction? I'm going to say fact, because science is weird. It is actually science fiction. You are incorrect. <sighs> get feed that. me, Carbon! Feed me now! <laughs> so you have to get, you get fed to the plants. Do I get eaten? Okay, that's not a bad way to go. You know, you can come back like a zombie. Yes. One day we'll do something on zombies. Although, So although many of these plants use wily and cunning tricks to attract their prey, like bright colors and alluring smells, none of them have any muscles, so they can't actually move on their own free will. Bug eaters that do have moving parts, like the Venus flytrap, unfortunately have to wait for some poor little insect to land on or brush by sensitive hair-like structures on their bodies. The vibration sets off a string of chemical reactions in the plant that cause a sudden change in the shape of the leaves, effectively forming a bug prison. More chemicals, more chemical reactions then cause the release of enzyme-rich digestive fluids, mm, delicious, Gross. that dissolve the insect's body down to a nutrient soup. Then the feasting can begin. Mm. Nutrient soup sounds like something that we could sell in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> totally does. We were just talking about that yesterday. Portland I'm, loves its nutrients. <laughs> I'm also really stuck on the idea of bug prison with bugs wearing teeny tiny orange jumpsuits. Oh, no. <laughs> kind of cute, though. <laughs> Stripe bug. Clean it, clean it up trash on the highway. <laughs> oh my god, yes. All right, you guys want to read us our quiz question number two? All right. Science fact or science fiction? The pitcher plant is aptly named as its leaves naturally grow in the shape of rain catching water pitchers. Bugs fall into the pitcher and the lid, which hangs over the opening of each pitcher, snap shut to seal it, and the bug drowns. Okay, guys, is this science fact or is this science fiction? I'm going to go fact again. Yeah. All right. Anybody else have any weigh in on this? I think they can see the answers. You shouldn't ask them. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. You guys read the questions <laughs> and have the answers. Anyone Never who, mind. Anyone who's not cheating have an answer? <laughs> All right. This is actually also science fiction. Sorry. Feed me, Carbon. Feed me now. I'm starving. Aww. Well, you get eaten a lot, but the plants aren't hungry, so that's nice. Okay. Not only is the pitcher plant not full of water, no part of the pitcher plant moves at all. It's totally inanimate. Does this look inanimate to you, punk? Yes, we yes does. it does. It <laughs> just stop pissing off the carnivorous plants. They're so sensitive. <laughs> the lid to the pitcher plant that we mentioned, it isn't even a lid at all. So its purpose is far more adorable. It's a little, tiny umbrella. Aww. See, inside the pitcher is a mixture of sweet, sweet, enticing nectar and also not-so-sweet digestive fluids. If rain were to get in and dilute the fluids, they would be much less effective, perhaps not at all effective, at digesting anything. The lid-like overhang actually keeps the rain out, and the digestive fluids uh, it keeps them at their optimal concentration to turn their hapless victims into tasty nitrogen-rich soup. Digestive fluids is also th something we could sell in Portland. No, nobody should know. That's like a probiotic, right? <laughs> it would be like, it'd be like a, a digestive vinegar shot, but we'd be like, oh, it's just our very special proprietary blend. Our, our pitcher plant digestive fluids. It's the biggest thing right now. Anyway, tiny umbrellas aren't the only trick up the pitcher plant's sleeve. The rim of the trap is structured with many, many tiny grooves, making it especially slippery for little insect feet. So once a bug lands, drawn in by the scent of that sweet nectar, it slides down the side the cup and plop falls into the deadly pool. The walls of the cup are also coated with a super waxy substance, so try as they might, a bug just won't be able to get enough traction to crawl their way out. 
What if it has wings? Couldn't it just fly out? Ah, pitcher plants have a trick for that one, too. The sugary nectar that entices the insect, it doubles as a sticky fluid trap that sort of clings to an insect's wings, making flying nearly impossible. <laughs> Cruel, huh? Brutal. That's like if you went to an ice cream shop and then they drowned you in, to death in ice cream. Yeah. Isn't nature neat? <laughs> I kind of want to drown to death in my screen. I know. I was just thinking it actually doesn't sound so bad. That's okay. Okay. Question number three. Producers, you got that ready for us? All right. Science fact or science fiction. Coniferous plants are quite rare and getting rarer. There are only 50 known species in the world today. What do you think, Kieran? Hmm. Well, judging by what you guys have said about these guys just, you know, really surviving well and thriving off humans, I'm going to say it's science fiction. I, you are correct. Yay! That's right, boy! You can do it! You can do it! There's, there's lots of I dancing happening it. in the studio <laughs> that you can't see right now, unfortunately. Yeah, there are actually over 600 known species of meat-eating plants out there. Amazing. We're not talking about one hungry plant here. We're talking about world conquest! And I want to thank you! Aren't you glad they aren't actually malevolent space aliens? I mean, that's a lot of species. (laughs) It would be more interesting, though. Anyway, yeah, there's quite a lot of carnivorous plants. They're so diverse that carnivory is often the only thing they have in common. What's more, these hungry little guys aren't even all related. Genetic testing has shown us that carnivory has evolved in many different plant species at many different times in Earth's history. We call this convergent evolution. It's pretty cool. Plants separated by thousands of miles and sometimes millions of years independently said, you know what? This swamp sucks and I'm dying of malnutrition, so it's time to chomp on some spiders. A lot of these species also differ in their methods of trapping their prey. So it kind of all depends on the features of the plants that they descended from. So pitfall traps, like the pitcher plant we've been talking about, they evolved from plants that would have already had cupped-shaped leaves. Do you think humans will do that? Like, they'll just start maybe eating each other because we're dying of malnutrition? Or, like, there's a lack of, like... No, because we have nutrient soup. We're oh fine. God, that's right! <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> Don't worry. Whew. You're welcome for saving humanity, everybody. <laughs> anyway, so fly paper traps, on the other hand, they have totally flat leaves. They're not shaped like cups. And they catch bugs with a super sticky substance called mucilage, which their predecessors used to store food and water. The mucilage keeps unlucky bugs struggling long enough for hair-like tentacles on the leaf surface to wrap around the bug's body and start pumping out digestive enzymes. Do you think we could sell mucilage? I think, I mean, Let's imagine it. Do like, it. Do you have a cold? A flu? Take mucilage. Ew. That would totally fly. That would work. <laughs> Let's do it. We have so many new products. All right. So the aquatic bladder traps, these are one of my favorite ones. They're particularly ingenious. They live entirely underwater and possess cup-like structures that protrude from their roots. When tiny appendages extending from the cups are jostled by some passing prey, the plant rapidly pumps ions out of the cups, and via osmosis, water flows back in. This actually creates a water vacuum that will suck the bug or the insect into the cup. And it's fast. It works in under a millisecond. So that would be like an acceleration. That means it sucks at an acceleration of about 600 Gs, which is 600 times the force of gravity. One epic attack. Yeah. And then there's the lobster pot traps that work on the same principle as like, you know, those road spikes that you can drive forward over, but you can't drive backwards. So they'll pop your tires. So the lobster pot traps are like that. They have sharp directional teeth that line the surface of the bug catching chamber, making it easy to climb in and nearly impossible to climb out. 
Hey, if you're just joining us, this is Everything is Interesting on X-Ray FM. I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. We're here with Kieran Bond. Hey. And our producers. And we're playing the science fact or science fiction quiz game, a carnivorous plants edition. All right, on to question four. Here we go. Science fact or science fiction? Carnivorous plants aren't just hankering for an invertebrate lunch. Some of them are so big that they even eat frogs and small mammals. Mm, thanks, Joey. What do you think? Kieran, science fact or science fiction? Hmm. Do they eat mice? Do they eat lizards? Do they? Can they do that? They totally could. Yeah? You're going yeah. with science fact? Let's do it. Ooh, you are correct. Yay! Science fact. Uh, that's right, boys. You can do it. So the skeletons of small vertebrates like frogs and geckos have actually been found in some of the larger species of tropical pitcher plants. How big are we talking? Like little Shapahara's big? No, not quite that large. I mean, not that we know of, but definitely bigger than your average Venus flytrap. The traps of the tropical pitcher plant, do I, why do I always get the hard words? Nepenthalus raja, <laughs> which lives in Borneo, can grow to over a foot tall. That's big enough to swallow a rat, which it does, but not often and probably not intentionally. Digesting something as large as that is actually really risky for the plant. So imagine like a rat or a frog, that would, that's a big thing, and it would take a long time to break down and digest. So there's a high chance that it would end up rotting prematurely and actually killing the plant. It's likely that the animals who fall into these plants do so by accident. And since the plant doesn't have the dexterity to spit the animal up, it simply takes advantage of the situation. Which brings us to question number five. Joey? Science fact or science fiction? While giant pitcher plants probably don't eat rodents on purpose, there is one that makes it a point of feeding on a specific part of a rodent. It's poop. What do you think? I like that they're utilizing the whole animal. So I'm going to say... <laughs> that could also... We could also do that in Portland. Oh, we totally <laughs> would. your nutrient soup and, and rat poop. I have like a baby story that um, kind of relates to this. Anyway, I think it's science fact. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on a second. <laughs> we don't need to go there. It's fine. Let's not go there. That was, that was <laughs> quite a little bit. But we'll just move right along. Okay, I'm sorry. You said science... Fact. Fact. She is correct. That's right, boys. There is actually a giant pitcher plant also in Borneo uh, called the Nepenthes ioe, uh, and one of its very favorite meals is shrew poop. Yeah, delicious, nitrogen-rich shrew poop. This was first discovered in 2009 by a team of scientists led by Dr. Jonathan Moran of the Royal Rose University of Canada. This aerial pitcher of the plant, so they, they kind of grow it up high, produces a sweet nectar around the rim, which is an enticing food source for the shrew. And lucky for the plant, this particular shrew called the montane tree shoe also has a tendency to poop as it eats. Like we all do. The pitcher is shaped so that when a shrew is feeding on the tasty nectar, its butt is positioned right over the pitcher's opening. It's like... It's kind of like if there was a toilet seat built into your kitchen chair. Is that like, it's like a dream? That would work in Portland, too. <laughs> People would dreams. get into that. We never have to move. <laughs> we are definitely inventing quite the restaurant today. Yeah. Woo. Hey, Shark Tank, here we come. Hey, Kira. <laughs> yes. Uh, is there not a toilet seat in your kitchen chair? Uh, yeah. There, I'm behind in life, and, you know, I have goals. And one day I'll get there. Yeah. And, no, there's not. I know. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Yeah, get with the program, Same. man. All right, well, okay, so back to this pitcher plant. Using isotope analysis of the type of nitrogen that exists in those plants' leaves, Dr. Moran's team actually determined that this Nepenthes ioe derives 57 to 100% of all their nitrogen directly from shrew poop. Yeah. Why aren't we doing that? 
as humans. Because nobody's invented the restaurant yet. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> if any listen, if anyone out there, if some like rich investor out there is like, I have just been waiting for the, 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 the project that I was going to invest in, and this is the one, you just give us a call. Give us a call. We can call it from pitcher to poop. Oh my gosh! Or, or from poop to pitcher. Uh, <laughs> I like from poop to pitcher. Anyway, this poop eating. Uh, pitcher plant was the first mutually beneficial relationship between a carnivorous plant and an animal ever discovered. Pretty cool. Love consent. All right, guys, let's move on to question number six. Joey? Science fact or science fiction? Venus flytraps can count. Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten. Like real. Like we mean it count. What do you think? Are we making this crap up? You're making the crap up. I'm making. Are we making the crap up? You're making up? it up. Are we making it up? No. <gasps> Venus flytraps can count. Feed me crab on. Feed me now. I'm <laughs> But like not out loud. Uh, no, no. I misinterpreted the question. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a weird question. <laughs> well, it, so this doesn't actually mean that they're sentient or that they're making decisions. It just means that they know the difference between the first time something lands on their leaves and the second, third, or you know, sixtieth time. To understand how they do it, you got to understand how a Venus flytrap's mouth works. I mean, leaves, that's what I meant to say, leaves, because they're not aliens, right? Anyway, plants don't have muscles. So it's, you know, to quickly snag a passing insect, they have to rely on their bright color, their fruity smell, and physics. Each mouth, quote unquote, is actually one leaf that has been split into two, with each side sort of resembling the shape of a contact lens. And they're purposely dehydrated, so that causes them to sort of flip the wrong way out, the way that a dried up contact lens is our wont to do. The leaves are then stretched backwards to their limit, which puts a whole lot of strain on their structure and basically makes them spring loaded. They kind of sound like the rubber flippy toys that kind of look like a half bouncy bowl. You'd flip them inside out and then just wait, and then they'd eventually right themselves and flap and hit your friends in the face. Yeah, I love those toys. I remember those, and they did every they hit everybody in the face. Yeah, they're exactly like that. Except the leaves of a Venus flytrap don't just flip randomly; they wait until motion is detected by very sensitive hairs on their surface. So, if let's say you're a bug crawling along, minding your own business, and you bump into one of these Venus flytrap hairs, guess what happens? What? Absolutely nothing. What? Nothing happens. <laughs> Pretty anticlimactic, right? Hmm. It's actually the second time the hairs get jostled that matters. As long as the bug bumps the hair within the same 20-second period of the first bump, sensory cells at the base of the hair generate an electrical signal that gets sent to the body of the plant. The electrical signal triggers a chemical change that allows water to rush into the normally very dry leaves. With this hydration, they suddenly flip right side out, like that rubber poppy toy you were talking about that suddenly pops. To us, the two concave halves of the leaf correcting their shape at the same time looks like a mouth snapping shut. Every subsequent tap by the insect or the bug produces another signal. And when five of these electrical signals have been sent, the plant begins secreting acid and the bug dissolving digestive enzymes into the trap. Mmm, delicious. The enzymes take a lot of energy to make, so the plant counts how many times the hairs get bumped and releases the enzymes proportionally, as that's a pretty good indication of how large the bug it captured is. Within six hours, the leaves become sealed together, forming an airtight, stomach-like pod. And when the oxygen in the pod runs out, that's it for the bug. It asphyxiates. And then those enzymes can really do their stuff. So what a way to go, huh? Bye, buggy. Sound like a slow, sad death? 
I don't. I frankly would rather asphyxiate. Exfix, <laughs> it was with me in the words today. I would rather asphyxiate mm-hmm. than be slowly digested and still be alive. Yeah, I think there's worse ways to go in the animal world. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty Maybe. gross, though. <laughs> don't, I don't want to witness awesome. anyone getting. Anyway, what's even cooler than the fact that this plant can count is recent evidence suggests that the leaves are lined with chemical sensors that allow the plant to essentially taste the chitin and other substances that naturally exist in the bug's blood. If the plant can still taste bug pieces in the pod, then it'll keep squirting out digestive enzymes and acid until the bug is actually soup. And then it bursts out a spoon and some oyster crackers, slurps that stuff up, and opens a new restaurant in Portland. Yeah. What? A spoon and oyster crackers? Yeah. Does that surprise you? You've never had a Venus flytrap, have you? No. Yeah. If I can talk and I can move, who's to say I can't do anything I want? He's got a real attitude, that plant. I would let that plant do anything it wanted. Have you seen that movie? I like would, eat I soup, would, I think you mean. I, yes, I would let that plant pick up a spoon. <laughs> it can have some hot sauce. Be like salt, a little pet. pepper. Oh. Yeah. Just, just please like don't. A, a pet that you just off. don't piss off. Yes. Okay, Joey, you got that next question for us? Here we go. Science fact or science fiction. All plants could be carnivorous. Any plant could eat a bug, just so long as you pre-digest it for them first. What do you think? Can any plant eat a bug? Hmm. I didn't think so. Does any plug any plant want to eat a bug? Or about like <laughs> a different a, question. <laughs> like a dandelion. You know, they seem too nice. It just occurred to me, I wish we had bought, brought in a plant and a bug, and we could be like, here, plant. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> eat it. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> and I would help you guys make your decision about this question. Yeah. Hmm. So what are we going with? I'm going to go with science fiction. That is incorrect. It's actually science fact. Feed me, on Feed me now. I'm starving. So in a process called foliar feeding, plants can absorb nutrients through the surface of their leaves, both through tiny transcuticular pores in between the cells and larger stomata, which are the pores that open and close to facilitate breathing. We actually figured this out back in the 1950s when researchers from the University of Michigan sprayed a bunch of plant leaves with water containing radioactive potassium and radioactive phosphorus. They isolated the roots and the soil of the plants so that the leaves were the only possible way in for these radioactive elements. And then they used a Geiger counter, oh, so cool, to track the nutrients and saw that the chemicals had actually been absorbed through the leaves. We've since realized that this ability to take in nutrients from the surface of their leaves is what allowed carnivorous plants to evolve in the first place. That, and of course the physical traits that the plants already had that proved useful for trapping bugs. Oh, and also necessity, because, you know, those plants had the crappy luck of being born in a nutrient-low bog. Yeah. Anyway, all plants have transcuticular pores and larger pores for breathing. So in theory, if you did smear a dead bug on the not-usually-carnivorous plant, like your, you know, sweet little dandelion, and the bug was pre-digested, the nutrients should be absorbed through the pores in the same way. I'll never look at a dandelion the same. I thought of another product. We could, ma- we could market, turn your regular old plant into a carnivorous plant, but and we just send people smash bugs, and we tell them to rub it on their plant's leaves, and we're like, now your plant's oh carnivorous. God. That would be so rad. Kids would be all about that. This is like the pet rock of 2018. Yes, yes. Oh and we would, have, we would have awesome illustrations, and it would just look so cool, and really, you'd just be rubbing dead bugs on your plant. Reckless, wealthy investor, you know who to call. Is, is, this, is this our nutrient soup, or is this our, what was the other thing we were going to make, nutrient? Uh, the digestive. Mucilage. Mucilage. <laughs> not mucilage. This is, yeah, this is, um, you know, it's like, you know how you like, you have like food for you and food for your pet and food Mm. for you, but you know, this is like organic 
nutrient soup for your plants. Oh, throw in the word organic. Let's <laughs> I know. Artisan. triple those prices. <laughs> it's artisan. Organic, handcrafted. <laughs> Ooh, but it, it would, okay, it has to come with a warning, though, because if you try this experiment at home of feeding your plants bugs and turning them carnivorous, you don't know. I mean, once they've gotten a taste for flesh, who knows how many species of bloodthirsty plants we're going to end up having on our hands. That's true. Must be blood. Tui, that's disgusting. Must be fresh. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> God, I love that movie. I mean, documentary. All right, that's it for our quiz today, guys. And it's really coming to the end of the show. Thank you so much to Kieran and Amalia and Lindsay and Joey for playing our carnivorous plant quiz. We hope that you all learned a lot, both about botany and maintaining a healthy respect for any plant that looks like it's from outer space. This week, our community shout-out goes to the amazing members of the Lewis River Rotary Club and the Camas Washugal Rotary Clubs located in Vancouver, Washington. Um, thank you so much for helping us spread enthusiasm for science. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And uh, if you'd like to re-listen to this show, you can find it and all episodes of Everything is Interesting on iTunes, Android, or at everythingisinteresting.org. Also, tune in in two weeks for our next episode when we'll talk about computers that can read your minds. And that will be... Actually, that's next week. I just realized because we skipped a week. Yep, that'll be next week at 8.30 a.m. on Wednesday and 12.30 p.m. on Thursday right here on X-Ray, where radio is yours. Some good advice.